Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is, sorry, what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. My name is Inago Mentoya. You killed my father, prepare to die. From what movie is that from? Princess Bride. You guys got it. The Princess Bride. Nago Mentoya wanted revenge. He wanted vengeance. I think that's what that whole movie was about, right? He wanted to pay back evil for evil. The Star Wars movies, we got some Star Wars fans in here, right? The Empire Strikes Back. Revenge of the Sith. Return of the Jedi. I think it was originally called Revenge of the Jedi. Is that right? But the Jedi, they don't get revenge. The world is fascinated with revenge. We pay money to see revenge take place. Revenge is deeply rooted in our hearts. The world's proverb, don't get mad, get even. You know what I like better? Don't get mad, get glad. I think that's a commercial. <laughs> get glad. And even better, even Stephen, right? <laughs> As Christians, we don't want to be marked by rude revenge or vile vengeance. Christians are to be marked by genuine love that results in overcoming evil with good. So ask yourself this morning, do you go to great lengths to overcome evil with good? Please pray with me once again. Father, I need your help. We need your help to hear your word, to let it sink into our ears, that it may grow in our hearts. Help me to feed your people, to love your people. Help us, Lord, to overcome evil with good. Help us to hear from you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Are you ready to receive this morning's message with great eagerness and examine the scriptures to see if what I am saying is true? This morning's big idea. Christians overcome evil with good. 
Christians overcome evil with good. If you're taking notes, write that down. So far, Paul has been trying to get the saints in Rome to understand that Jew and Gentile were one in Christ Jesus. Paul wanted Jew and Gentile to live peaceably with all people, to live in harmony with one another. Paul emphasizes that the saints in Rome needed to present their bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is their spiritual worship. Presenting their bodies as a living sacrifice would also include blessing their enemies, which would ultimately result in overcoming evil with good. That's the goal of every Christian, to be like Jesus, to overcome evil with good. So the route we're going to travel this morning will hopefully be easy to follow. Verse 14 will focus on bountifully blessing our enemies. And in verses 17 through 20, Paul will encourage Christians to lavishly love their enemies. And in verses 14 and 15, Paul will continue the theme of overcoming evil with good by encouraging Christians to be marked by supernatural sympathy and heavenly humility. So Paul begins by encouraging his Christians to overcome evil with good by bountifully blessing those who persecute them. Romans chapter 12, verse 14 Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. The word translated bless comes from the Greek word eulogeo, where our word eulogy comes from, also meaning to, to praise or to speak well of. Last Saturday, two Saturdays ago, at, at Rob Hirsch's memorial, Rob's family members gave a eulogy. Rob's brother Dean and his sons gave a eulogy. They spoke well of Rob. They spoke well of him. They blessed his name. Christians overcome evil with good by bountifully blessing others. Paul encourages the saints in Rome to reverse the curse by blessing others instead of cursing them. Cursing here can also mean to wish evil upon. I'm going to give you an illustration of how I did not bless someone. I actually cursed them. Have mercy on me. Give me grace. I'd only been a Christian for a couple of years. I was delivering packages, driving my truck, and I'm turning a corner, and a blue and white Corvette pulls up next to me really slow, and I'm, I, our trucks don't go very fast. I'm going slow, but he was going so slow, I, we almost both stopped in the middle of the street. And I had my door open, and this Corvette revs up his engine and just backfires. And it was the loudest noise. It like popped my eardrum. I tried to shut the door, and I just got angry. 
And this Corvette speeds off, his, his back end is fishtailing, and I said, God, get him. Like, I wanted this Corvette to, like, flip over it and burst into flames. <laughs> yeah, I didn't bless him. And I empathize with James and John in that moment in Luke 9. After the people in the Samaritan village rejected Jesus, the, the disciples wanted fire from heaven to rain down on them and consume them. But what did Jesus do? He turned and rebuked them. Paul is encouraging the saints in Rome to bless and not curse, even when it might feel warranted to curse rather than bless. I thought I was warranted back then, but I wasn't. The Christians in Rome were dealing with persecution that may have resulted in excommunication from the community, imprisonment, plundering of property, reproach, affliction, reviling, slandering, mocking. It would have been difficult for them to bless and not curse. And Paul, like Jesus, encourages them to pay back cursing with bountiful blessing. The way in which Christians deal with those who persecute them is to be merciful to them. Just as our Heavenly Father has shown us mercy, we are to be merciful. We are to pray for them, ask God to save them, speak good of them, to bring them into the fold of God. And where would Paul get such a commandment to bless those who persecuted us? Who commanded that we should bless those who persecute us? I'm throwing you a softball. What's his name? Jesus. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus said, Do not resist the one who is evil. In verses 44 and 45, Jesus said, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verses 27 and 28, Jesus said, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Pray for those who abuse you. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Paul is quoting Jesus. And it shouldn't surprise us that as Christians, we will experience persecution. If you are living a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. That's what Paul said to Timothy in his letter to Timothy. 2 Timothy 3.12, those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And Jesus said the same thing. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, I'm not receiving persecu persecution. I'm not getting persecuted. This would be a good time to examine yourself 
Ask yourself, am I living a godly life in Christ Jesus? Am I different from the world? Would others know by your words and your actions that you are followers of King Jesus? Do you speak and act differently than those who are not Christians? Paul desires that we imitate his actions. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, when we riled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. Not only are we called to bless, we are called to be sympathetic towards others. Christians overcome evil with good and are marked by supernatural sympathy. Verse 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. We are to be simply glad for and delight with those who rejoice. It seems so simple, doesn't it? Yet it's, it's not that easy to do. It's easier to envy those who rejoice. Why do they always get to rejoice? Why are they always get good things happening to them so that they can rejoice all the more. What about me? When do I get to rejoice? When can something good happen to me so that I can feel good? Paul reminded the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Just so you know, you rejoice with others well. You honor one another. I saw you last week with the cards that you were handing out to outdo one another in showing honor. Some of you were handing out cards to multiple people. You honor one another well. It's a blessing to be a part of this church. Not, uh, other ways that you rejoice with one another, you throw tons of parties, baby showers, parties, dinners, game nights. You rejoice with one another. And keep doing that. Christians overcome evil with good by supernaturally sympathizing with others. We care deeply for one another. We identify with each other. We are in tune with one another. When you see someone smiling, smile with them if you can. Ask them what is causing them so much joy. What is causing them to rejoice? When they tell you, rejoice with them. When someone you know has a child on the way, throw a party. Someone just bought a new car, ask them if you can take it for a spin. <laughs> Scott's Corvette. <laughs> someone purchased a new house, tell them to throw a housewarming party and then to invite you. Christians also overcome evil with good by weeping with those who weep. Weep can also mean to cry, to wail, to mourn. The saints in Rome would have been well acquainted with mourning. The loss of loved ones, loved ones being imprisoned. When someone loses a loved one, we weep with them. And you might not have the perfect things to say to them, and that's okay. Be there for them. Acknowledge that their grief is real, that their pain is real, and that they're not 
alone. Can I share another story? It's about my wife, Rebecca. And I, and I failed again. <laughs> Rebecca had been pursuing a PhD, and she was into this program for three years, had written 90 pages of a dissertation, and she was just about to collect the data for it. And a company had promised her two years earlier that she could collect data from them. They changed their mind. They changed some policies. She could no longer collect data. And she told me that during the day I got home and I went out in the backyard and she was crying uncontrollably. And I came up behind her and I said, Rebecca, don't even sweat it. Don't even sweat it. Kind of with a smile. <laughs> that wasn't like the worst response in the world, but I should have weeped with her. I should have said, that sucks. I'm so sorry, and weeped with her. I should have been sympathetic with her. And I failed again, but I'm, I'm getting better. I'm getting better. It's a tragedy and misfortune if our hearts react in an opposite sense. If we rejoice when others weep and weep when others rejoice, that's backwards. If you feel this way, Ask God to change your heart. Ask him to give you a sympathetic heart. Christians overcome evil with good when they display heavenly humility. Verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. The saints in Rome were to set aside their differences, such as what to eat and when to eat it, what day is the best day to worship on, and so forth. They were called to live in harmony with one another. They were called to agree on the things that actually mattered. They were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. They were to be of the same mind with the goal of glorifying Christ Jesus. So we strive for a single-minded pursuit of togetherness in the good news of Jesus Christ, in the gospel. We believe the same thing about God, about who he is, and that we've been saved from eternal damnation by repenting of our sins and believing that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. That's why, we re that's why we recite the Apostles' Creed together and the Nicene Creed and seven other creeds I've never heard of and our statement of fellowship. We recite them together so that we can be on the same page about regarding what we believe about God, what we believe about who how we can love God more and how we can love one another and serve one another. We don't quarrel and argue about things that bring discord and division, about things that can be agreed to disagree on. David proclaimed in Psalm 133, verse 1, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity, when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. How good and pleasant it is. Back to verse 16. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. 
Paul says, don't be haughty. Don't be high-minded or wise-minded. Don't be proud or arrogant. Rather, be carried away with the lowly. Associate with the lowly. Come alongside of them. When we begin to do what is right in our own eyes, we set up barriers between ourselves and others. Jesus dined with tax collectors and sinners. He dined with the lowest of the low. As Lucas said, Jesus is gentle and lowly. He hung out with lepers and prostitutes, and Jesus was mocked for it. Paul, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Genuine love brings about a heavenly humility. We are on the same team. You don't want your teammate to drop the pass or to strike out or to kick the ball into the, growl, into the crowd when it's supposed to actually go into the goal. We want them to get a base hit or score a goal or score a touchdown. We want them to hit a bomb. That means a home run. And when someone does strike out, we come alongside of them and encourage them. We have compassion and sympathy on them. We walk alongside the lowly. We put our arms out and we link together as one big strong chain together. Let me share another thing that, that warms my heart about you guys. Your children come up to me and they hold out their hand and they want me to walk alongside of them. And it gives me the opportunity to guide and protect them. And that's what we should do for each other. The picture that Paul is painting for us is that we who are able are to help those who are less able. Like a parent being bound to their children, we should bind ourselves to one another, especially with those of low estate. Let's be a church where people want to share with one another how God has blessed us. Where they know that people will rejoice with them. If someone is on fire for Jesus, ask them to share more about what Jesus is doing in their life. Throw gasoline on that fire. Let's also be a church where people can mourn and share their sorrows knowing that others will mourn with them and pray for them. If our love is genuine and we want to overcome evil with good, we'll be marked by heavenly humility. And it's evident that Paul is concerned with the Christian's response to evil. Paul reiterates and emphasizes for the Christians in Rome to not react to evildoers with immediate revenge, but to react with lavish love grounded in the mercy and love of their gracious and merciful Father in heaven. Verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, 
but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Paul is well aware that the saints in Rome are suffering. As I said earlier, imprisonment, mocking, reviling. And just in case these words of Paul weren't sinking in to the ears just yet, Paul says again, repay no one evil for evil or bad for bad or wrong for wrong. So an evil thing can also refer to any crime, harm, or moral wrong. The Christians in Rome have been sinned against, wronged, harmed, and yet they are still encouraged to not retaliate. To not retaliate. Paul goes on, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. He's basically saying, take a step back, slow down, think about how you're going to react. So honorable here is kalos, could also be translated good or beautiful or virtuous. So think about what you can do that is good or beautiful or honorable or virtuous. Why? Because others may be looking on. Others may be watching. You'll remember in Acts 7, when Stephen was being persecuted, Saul, now Paul, was there. Acts 7, verse 58. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. They cast Stephen out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Paul was looking on, and Stephen did what was honorable in the sight of all. He did what was good and beautiful. He didn't condemn them. He didn't curse them. He blessed them. He asked the Father to have mercy on them. He didn't repay evil for evil. Proverbs 19.11, one of my favorite Proverbs. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Our call to worship text from this morning, Leviticus 19, verses 17 and 18. Just in case we forgot, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bury grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. When we try to dispense just the right amount of justice for being sinned against, it rarely goes well. It doesn't go well. The cycle of evil just continues. The cycle of hatred just keeps going. Verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with only your best friends. Sorry, that's not what it says. I'm just making sure you're listening and following along. That was from the WWV. That's the World's Way version. 
So let's read verse 18 again. The ESV reads, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Not just our best friends, but all. All here means all. Ask yourself, what can I do in this situation to bring about peace? Paul said, do not be conformed to this world. Remember, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are to model the example Jesus and Paul provided for us. The peace we get from Jesus, we are to spread as a fragrance to an agitated, angry, and vengeful world. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We strive to live at peace with our families, our coworkers, government leaders, bosses, everyone, all people. There may be times, however, when those who have wronged us don't like the peace we're bringing to the table. But we still don't resort to displeasing God by reacting as the world would. Maybe you have a coworker, a boss, a roommate, a family member who makes you feel like the scum of the earth. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with them. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Paul presses on. He's going to go deeper. Verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Paul again is reiterating what he just said in verses 14 and 17. So here's the negative part of verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Never, never react in like manner. We are to act like Jesus. Jesus showed love to his enemies, and we are called to do likewise. Don't get mad, get glad. The positive, but leave it to the wrath of God. And translators here have added of God. The emphasis, leave it to the wrath. That's in the original. Just leave it to the wrath. We all know what the wrath is. Leave it to the wrath of God. Leave room for the wrath. And Paul isn't saying disregard justice. Rather, let God, the perfect and righteous judge, have the final say when it comes to repayment. God knows the right measure of whooping, the right measure of wrath to bring down. Leave room for the wrath of God. Paul is citing Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 35. Vengeance is mine and recompense, or and I will repay for the time when their foot shall slip. For the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. 
The author of Hebrews is thinking in a similar way to Paul. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 30 and 31. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his, his people. Verse 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Leave room for the wrath of God. So Paul's laying it on thick, right? He wants his audience to feel the weight. In the meantime, we leave it to the wrath. We leave it to the wrath. We continue to overcome evil with good by pressing on to lavishly love our enemies. Verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. This is a near direct quotation of Proverbs chapter 25, verses 21 and 22. But Paul leaves out from the Proverbs there, and the Lord will reward you. That's the only thing he omits. The saints in Rome were encouraged to, sh to continue to show undeserved kindness and love. They were called to care for their enemies, to demonstrate Christ-like love by feeding them. So what is, exactly does the heaping of burning coals on the head mean? There are two common interpretations. I'll give them, I'll give them both to you. The first is that by throwing coals onto someone's head, it would be like they're, they're, they're being melted. There's a hot melting of the heart happening so that they will repent and they will come to God. They will be intensely humbled because of the grace and kindness extended to them. Another explanation for the burning coals or coals of fire is that by demonstrating kindness to your enemy and heaping coals on their head, your enemies will receive future judgment or punishment from God. So when I read verses, when I read Psalm 140, verses 7 through 11, it sounds like the coals of fire refer to judgment. I'll read it to you. Verse 7 of Psalm 140. O Lord, my Lord, the strength of my salvation, you covered my head in the day of battle. Grant not, O Lord, the desires of the wicked, do not further their evil plot, or they will be exalted. As for the head of those who surround me, let the mischief of their lips overwhelm them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into fire, into miry pits, no more to rise. Similar language to coals of fire as judgment are in Psalm 11 and Psalm 18. So verse 20 seems to be reinforcing Paul's citation of Deuteronomy chapter 32 back in verse 19. In the final analysis, we are to treat our enemies with kindness and leave room for the wrath of God. And you can discuss that further in your community groups if you want. Paul strings it together with a final exhortation or appeal in verse 21 that actually summarizes all of verses 9 through 21. Verse 21, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So think about this just for a moment with me. If we retaliate and return evil for evil and hate those who hate us, 
We just add to the separation. We help to create a greater divide. But if we overcome evil with good, we move towards others. We close the gap. We make a bridge for others to cross so that they may experience the grace and mercy and love of Christ Jesus. So what kind of aroma are we giving off as a church? What are others experiencing and seeing as they watch us interact with one another? Does the world see us overcoming evil with good? Or do they see us returning evil for evil? Let's give off an aroma of love and peace and unity. Let me end with some, some really, really good news. Jesus overcame evil with good. Jesus blessed us when we were cursing him. We cried in our hearts, crucify him. And Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus blessed and did not curse. And Jesus rejoices with us. At the wedding in Cana, Jesus turned water into wine. And even more glorious, Jesus said, Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. If you don't know Jesus, repent of your sins and follow Jesus. There will be a celebration in heaven. And what's the shortest verse in the New Testament? Anyone? Anyone know? Jesus wept. There, you got it. John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus weeps with us. He loves us. He sympathizes with us. Lazarus died. Jesus raised him from the dead. Your marriage might be dead. Your relationships with family members might be dead. Jesus raises dead marriages and dead relationships. He overcomes evil with good. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. If you don't call Jesus your Lord and Savior, you are spiritually dead in your sins. And you will experience the wrath of God. The most amazing news, cast your anxieties and worries on him. Repent of your sins and believe that Jesus overcame death, conquered death and that God raised him from the dead. Jesus is more than qualified to raise you from the dead. He's the only one qualified to raise you from the dead. You may be feeling lowly and despised and depressed like you're an outcast. Like I said earlier, Jesus came to dine with sinners. Jesus associates himself with you. Jesus overcame evil with good. He's the Prince of Peace, 
Colossians 1, verses 19 and 20. For in him, in Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus brings us peace. We heard in the intro that often this world desires revenge, and we pay for it. It's in our movies, books, TV shows. We soak ourselves up in, in revenge. And Jesus calls us to be different, to overcome evil with good. The wrath of God was meant for evildoers like you and me before we knew Jesus. But Jesus absorbed that wrath on the cross so that we could be in relationship with him. Romans 5, verses 8 and 9, But God showed his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by Jesus from the wrath of God. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had washed a crimson stain, washed it white as snow. The one who conquers, Jesus said, the one who conquers, the one who overcome, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Christians overcome evil with good. Let us pray.